2 Samuel chapter 12. So this is after David has sinned. Um, Nathan comes and he talks to him. This is not immediately afterward. This is, this is months afterwards. Um, he's, he's seen what David has done and he sat with it for a while. In other words, he doesn't react to the situation. He actually sits with it for a minute. And the Bible says here in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. I love this because, because that means that God had spoken to him. And even though he probably wanted to react to the situation months ago, he has waited for God to speak to him. He has waited for his emotions to settle until he has the right way to confront David because the outcome of resolution and restoration is what we're really looking for. And so here's what he does. He says, the Bible says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb or ewe that he had bought. He raised it and he grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms like Mello, our little puppy. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, your God of Israel, says. I anointed you king of Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel, all of Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Up down to verse 13, the Bible says David looks at Nathan. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. So, Father, in Jesus' name, help us. Everyone in this room is dealing with some level of confrontation some level of frustration, maybe even because of the lack of ability on their part to confront, the fear to confront. Or they have confronted, but they didn't do it the right way and it went south and no repentance was made, no apologies were made, the relationship was fractured even worse. So God, we're asking you to help us, help us to learn how to handle conflict. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. I think there are probably two different types of people in the room today. Um, there are people in the room who uh, don't have an issue with having hard conversations. 
Anybody in the room just like, you like a good, hard conversation? I see a hand. I see a couple hands. Anybody just want to throw it up? Maybe your husband or wife are sitting beside you. Your friend sitting beside you. They're not raising their hand, but they love the drama. <laughs> they love to the fight. They fight for the fight. I was sitting with a friend of mine. He's part of our church, and he's, he, we were in an airport together, and he was telling us about he always seems to find himself in a situation like a fight. And good for him. He's actually a trained fighter. <laughs> I wouldn't be good for me. I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. He found himself in an airport one time, and this guy was about to attack someone at the desk, and he put him in a chokehold and dropped him to the ground. And, and he's, like, he's like, I'm just looking for someone to want to fight me, you know? I'm not like that. I'm just like, I'm not into that. I'm not down with that. I'm the guy getting choked out, you know? I'm not. I don't know the moves. Um, but there are people who do not have a difficult time with hard conversations. But what you need to learn is you need to learn how to say the right thing at the right time and the right way. Because very often people who are not afraid of hard conversations hurt people and destroy relationships and push people further away. Because hard conversations don't have to be hostile. <laughs> and what you call telling the truth is just you're, is an excuse for you to be hostile towards people. All right. This, this is going to be one of those messages that really hits you. So it's not going to be a whole lot of amens today. <laughs> Um, it's all good. But then there are people like me who have a hard time having those difficult conversations. And what you do, you're, the danger of that is that you end up hurting yourself and them because you don't allow them the opportunity to grow. And you, don't, you, you open up a door for you to become bitter in your own life. And here's what you do. You actually train people in your life how to not care about your feelings. I teach them by not confronting them that my feelings and what I need from the relationship doesn't matter. And very often the reason people don't love us well is because we never teach them how to love us. So Monica and I are going to be married 25 years here really soon. And, and to make it to 25 um, has required a lot of difficult conversations. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I was like, they made it, they're, they're married 24 years now, and, and uh, they, were, they were saying, you know, um, we haven't done everything right, but to make it this far, we've done something right. Does anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? Like, there are some things that, that you look back over your life, man, like, I didn't do all of that correctly, and I didn't do that the right way, but I've done some, I've done some right things, like, could point to some moments in my life where I, I made some right decisions because you don't just make it to 25, 30, 40, 50 years of marriage without doing a few things right. So there, there, is, there have been times in our relationship where we've had to talk to each other and be like, hey, this is the best way. If you really want to get my attention, this is the best way to talk to me. This is the best time to talk to me. Monica knows for me, like, Mondays aren't it. Mondays are just not it. It's like... It's like I'm already in my head over Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm going through everything I've said, every person I probably offended. I'm, I'm, I'm in my head on Monday. I don't want to pick paint colors on Monday. I don't want to make hard decisions on Monday. I don't want to worry about anything on 
Monday. I need to get out of my head. So I schedule if I want to do a, a, a counseling session or somebody needs to meet with me, I usually like to schedule that on Monday because on Monday I am very, I am, I'm, I'm like, I don't beat around the bush. I say things the way I hear them. And so, like, if, if you're in a meeting with me, I, like, I, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I'm just like, I don't have time to play around. Like, I'm going to tell you how I feel. So if, if you've met with me on a Monday, you understand that, like, Mondays are different for Robbie. Like, Mondays are just different. And uh, so we've had to learn how to, how to deal with each other. When's the appropriate time to have a conversation? Like, this might not be the appropriate time. Like, you know, she probably shouldn't stand up right now and start going over, you know, some of the bad things I've done this week. And I've done some stupid things this week, but now's not the appropriate time. You know, I would say we're doing pretty good this morning, but there's probably some stuff you want to talk to me about, you know, and now's not the time to talk to me about that. Now's not even the time for me to be talking to you like I'm talking to you like this because you can't, you can't even defend yourself. You don't have a microphone in your hand. So, so we got, see, I'm, I was doing well and then I failed. That's kind of like, it's, it's marriage, isn't it? And, and here's the thing about telling the truth, because conflict is a part of communication. It's how, and communication is how relationships thrive. Without communication, relationships die, right? So whenever people stop talking, relationships stops, the relationship stops moving, so you have to learn how to handle confrontation, both how to confront and how to be confronted. Because you are going to have to, over a period of being in a relationship with someone, you're going to have to communicate a truth that may be very difficult for them to hear. Here's what I found out about the truth. The truth doesn't destroy relationships. It actually exposes them. If somebody telling you the truth destroyed your relationship, then your relationship was destroyed before they ever told you. The truth, it just exposed to you the fragility of the relationship. All right, okay. So I want to I take a minute because in, I, I see in this story, I, I love this, this story because Nathan has sat with this for months. Um, Nathan is a representative of God. He speaks on behalf of God. He's a prophet to not only the king, he's a prophet to the nation. And there has to be some sort of frustration that as, as he is watching his king, the one Samuel anointed to be king, act like David has been acting, doing what David has been doing. And it seems as if David doesn't have any remorse about it. He's just going on with life. So Nathan has been sitting with this. Have you ever had somebody do something uh, to offend you or, or hurt your feelings and you sat with it? Or you saw something happen and you wanted to say something, but you didn't say anything and you just sat with it. And I can imagine as he's sitting with this frustration, this is a man of God set apart by God. This is a guy who is, who is living right. He's following God. He's pursuing holiness. And he is watching this king act like this and feel no sorrow, no shame, no guilt, no remorse, just moving on with life. And he's had to sit with this for months. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that the Lord sends Nathan to David. And when he gets there, can you imagine getting there and finally having the opportunity to share all of your frustration? And Nathan doesn't walk into the room and start to accuse David 
and start to yell at David and list all of the stuff that he's watched David fail in and make mistakes in. But he begins by telling him this story and he disarms David. Nathan really had every right to go in as a man of God and just lay him out. The Bible says that he waited and when the Lord finally spoke to him, see a lot of you are are confronting situations in your emotions and how you feel instead of taking a moment to just allow the Lord to speak to you and not only speak to you about what to say, but the timing. And so many of us say the right thing, we just say it in the wrong season, (laughs) in the wrong time. And Nathan walks in. And he begins to tell this story and David is immediately disarmed. As a matter of fact, as David hears this story about this man taking someone else's lamb and sacrificing it, this lamb that they they would cuddle with and they loved it and he used it for a sacrifice, even though he had all of this access to his own animals. He takes the one that belongs to someone else and and David's anger is is rising as Nathan is telling this story. And when Nathan finishes the story, David's like, he's going to die. Because I think David thinks this is a real story. I don't don't think he thinks Nathan is coming in there just telling him some sort of fairy tale. I think he's like, this is happening in my kingdom. This is something I need to take care of. And he said, this man is going to pay back four times everything he took and I'm going to kill him. He's angry, and Nathan takes this opportunity to go, Hey, David, you're that man. Because now David has nowhere to run. Right? David has already created his own consequences for the same actions. Oh, so David doesn't get to say, Well, it's, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I did. What I did was different because this is, this is also the brilliance of, of, of waiting on the Lord is that Nathan doesn't come into him and, and start to accuse him of sexual sin, of some sort of perversion. He comes in and he, he talks to him about theft. Because at the root of this, David, more than you sleeping with Bathsheba or taking Uriah's life, at the base of all of this is You had access to all of these things and you took something that belonged to someone else. And David could recognize it in that story. And then when Nathan flipped it around, David said, oh, that's me. And in verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He's gone months without repentance. Months without repentance. The grief of what he did. He's moved on with his life. But all of a sudden, in the way Nathan confronted him, David was able to see what he had done and he broke before the Lord. Now I want to give you just a few ways that I see in this story to confront in a way that disarms people to confront in a way that allows people to see the magnitude of their mistake without you having to say, you are awful, you failed, but almost to the point where it's like they see themselves in the story 
And when they're finally confronted with what happened, they realize, oh, that was me. Oh, I did do that. Oh, I did say that. Oh, I, I, that, that's on me. Let me give you the first way. You have to acknowledge that there are feelings involved in every confrontation. Because if you don't acknowledge the feelings that the people you confront are going to have about you confronting them, and even your feelings about confronting them, every emotion, every feeling that isn't recognized pushes people further in the corner of their rejection of the conference, confrontation, of their lack of ability to acknowledge what they have done. Because once a person gets in their feelings, it's very difficult for them to get out. All right? And so if a person feels misunderstood by you, you could talk to them in the, the nicest tone ever. But if they, if they feel misunderstood by you, they are going to live in their feelings of be, being misunderstood. So you have to acknowledge that it seems as if every time I talk to this person about this or about something, they take it the wrong way. And so before you address them again, wisdom says, why don't you talk to them about the feelings that they have towards you confronting them? Why don't you, why don't you ask them, why is it when I talk to you about something that's confrontational, why do you respond to me the way you respond to me? Is it how I'm saying it? Is it how I'm addressing you? Is it the tone in my voice? Is it, do, do I come in like with this accusatory type attitude? And I love Nathan. He's had to deal with David for years now. And he's, he's learned how to deal with David. He has learned that, and this is a wild situation because, because Nathan, at risk of his life, is going to confront David. And if David reacts the wrong way, then the same thing that David did to Uriah the Hittite, he will do to Nathan the prophet. And you have to be very careful because... Because when you confront people, there are a lot of, especially when a relationship has some years attached to it, there are a lot of emotions connected to you confronting somebody. You, I mean, even if you have any children in this room, you know what I'm talking about. You, like there, you have one kid who you can walk in and be like, be like, sit down. And another kid you can walk in and be like, sit down. And they just want to stand up, bow up. You got one who sits down and another one who stands up. And sometimes the one who sits down has just as much of emotion about you confronting them as the one who refuses to listen to you. So, sometimes there's danger in the person who always sits down when you tell them to sit down. Because you've taken so much power from them and you've rocked them so much that all they know how to do is even when you're wrong, they sit down. And when the person who doesn't sit down, stands up. You don't know how to deal with that. And so what happens? What happens when we get into situations where we're confronting people and it doesn't seem like they're listening, it doesn't seem like they're receiving it, where, what do we go back to? I'm your daddy. I'm your mama. I'm the boss around here. You get it at work all the time. 
Some, some of y'all work for people who are like this, like they, they start to talk to you about something and the way they're talking to you is very offensive and, and you start to respond or reply and they put you in your place. I'm the boss. You can't talk to me like that. And maybe, maybe we need less of you can't talk to me like that and more of why are you responding to me like that? What have I done to make you so disagreeable with me? What have I done that makes you want to run and hide when I start to bring this up? Oh, and it's really quiet in here and I love it right now because I'm telling you, every person in this room is dealing with some level of mismanagement of conflict. And I think that we get into this routine and this rut of just like, especially parents with children of just throwing our weight around, just throwing our name around, just throwing our title around. If you're running a business, you can do this with your employees. I'm the boss. And it's like if you were if you were acting like a boss, if you were acting like a father, if you were acting like a mother, maybe you wouldn't have to put your foot down so much and declare who you are. We would know you were father, mother, boss by the way you act. But if you keep having to remind us what your title is, maybe you aren't functioning (laughs) in your title. Y'all thought I was coming for the kids today. Y'all thought I was coming for those disobedient, rebellious kids. And we're going to get there in a second. But I came to talk to people who are, who, are, who are doing the majority of the confrontation. And it seems like nobody responds to you. Maybe it's not a they problem. Maybe it's a you problem. Maybe, maybe you reacted in your emotions. Maybe you confronted too quickly. Maybe you picked the wrong time and the date to go at somebody, to have a conversation, to sit down, to pick up the phone. Maybe, maybe your timing was off. Maybe what was your intention in the confrontation was good, but your timing was off or your tone was off or your attitude was off. Or, and if you catch them in their emotions, it's going to be very difficult to pull them out of their Emotions. Have anybody in your life who you just immediately, when, whenever confrontation happens, they just immediately shut down? Got anybody in your life when confrontation happens, they just immediately want to bow up and like throw punches? My brother was this way. We, 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 he, my brother Ricky, he does not like to wrestle because he doesn't believe wrestling resolves conflict. He thinks somebody needs to be laying on the ground bloody. Waving white flag, like get off, leave me alone. And so when when we were growing up, I had to I had to learn how to, as the older brother, I had to learn how to deal with, and and we're working together now. And if I tried to, <laughs> if I tried to apply the same type of of conflict, uh, the way I dealt with conflict as a seventeen year old with my thirteen year old brother here, and we're forty year old men. You would see me bloody in my office because Ricky <laughs> would beat me up. I'm just that's the bottom line. I'm, again, I'm not a fighter. <laughs> Don't come at me. <laughs> so there's there's got to be some some growth there, not just from the person we're going to talk about them, not just from the person who needs to hear the truth, but the person who's delivering the truth. Because sometimes when you feel like you're the person with the truth, you feel justified in however you treat people. You feel justified in your tone. You feel justified in your righteous indignation. I'm just mad for Jesus. 
we have to remember that as and, and this and the reason I want to talk to you about this is because here's the thing. As a believer, it's I'm not the only ambassador for Christ I'm in the room. Every follower of Jesus is an ambassador for Christ. You you are a representative of heaven. And so how we handle people tells people how God feels about them. And they associate because we say we're Christian. They associate how we treat them with how God would treat them. And so how you act at the restaurant when your steak is undercooked is how people think God acts at the restaurant when his steak is undercooked. Because you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, you got the bumper sticker, you got the fish on the back of your car, you got the Calvary Church sticker on the back of your car. Stop acting like a fool because you think you're in the right. Am I talking to anybody this morning who's ever felt that, like, I'm in the right, I'm justified. I'm justified in my anger, I'm justified in my tone, I'm justified in... So we have to acknowledge those feelings. Colossians 4 and 6 says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love this because it gives us insight into the fact that not all human beings respond the same way. Again, let's go back to children. Anybody got children and you've maybe you've got two, maybe you got seven, I don't know, but have you, have you noticed that even though they grow up in the same house, the same two parents, none of them respond the same way, especially when it comes to discipline. And so the Bible says we've got, we've got to let our conversations be full of grace and we've got to season them with salt because we got to learn how to deal with everybody. Oh, man. And some of y'all are really good at dealing with non-Christians and terrible with your Christian brothers and sisters. And some of us are great at dealing with Christians. We're terrible at dealing with unbelievers. And so we have to, there's got to be this this, this capacity in us to grow, to understand how to talk to people who, who are in the faith and how to talk to people who are not of the faith. Because some of the ways I think aren't going to mean anything. Some of the virtues I have aren't going to mean anything to worldly people. And so if I come at them from this, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have this standard called the Bible. I'm, I'm living by this standard. I'm following Christ. And you got somebody out there who's not following Christ at all, and you come in there, and you start throwing Bible at them. They're like, I don't even believe that Bible you're talking about. Get out of my face. It's funny, isn't it, how we expect people who don't even believe in Jesus to, to act like Christians? We're just, like, shocked. The world is awful. Duh! They have no, they've not been saved. The Holy Spirit doesn't live on the inside of them. They've not been awakened to the truth that is God. How do you expect unbelievers to act? Like unbelievers! But some of us have a harder time dealing with Christians because it's like I can, I, can, I can see why they're acting like that. But what I can't understand is why somebody who puts the name of Jesus on the back of their car is acting like 
that. And can I say to the person who, who loves a good, hard conversation, you gotta, you got to address the feelings of the person that you're, you're confronting. But can I say to the, to the person who's being confronted, can I challenge you just a little bit today? Can you stop using your tears to manipulate every conversation? When you immediately make yourself the victim, this is what, this is what you do to avoid the truth. The, just let the water works begin. Somebody talks to you and they try to talk to you about something difficult and you're like, oh, well, my mama never loved me. You're like, your mama never loving you has got nothing to do. <laughs> but that's, that's what this new world wants us to believe. The, this new world that we live in wants us to blame our mamas and our daddies and our ancestors and everybody way back there who's got nothing to do with our situation. So we immediately, it's like, oh, I was bad, Ooh, but they. Uh, let me give you a second thought. When you're confronting somebody, this is, this is very important because the, conf- the confrontational person doesn't realize that it's also your job to listen. <laughs> so listen, don't react. Some people are only acting the way they do because they know it gets a reaction from you. If something someone is doing makes you feel reactive, say something like this. I'll get back to you on that. I need to, I need to take a break from this conversation. Because it's better for you to walk away from the conversation than have to apologize for saying something that you cannot take back. And when you feel, when you feel it, some of you feel it in church on Sunday sometimes. You feel it when I say stuff. You're like, your blood starts rising in your neck. You start to get splotches. And there's like this part of you is like, I'm 50%, 50, I'm 50 50 on walking out of here or, or staying. You know, you know that feeling. You know. Nobody knows how you react like you know. How you react. And you know those things that start to happen <laughs> to your physical body when you get in a situation that's uncomfortable. And if you're not careful, could cause you to explode. So if something puts you in a position, someone puts you in a position where you want to react, remove yourself from that situation. It's funny, the Bible... <laughs> The Bible says to, um, in, in, in when it's talking about sin, the Bible tells us to, to avoid, uh, to avoid. But, but when the Bible specifically is talking about sexual sin, the Bible's like, run! <laughs> Flee! Get out of there! And there are some things in your life that are like sexual sin. You, you, don't, you don't need to just be like, hanging around. You don't need to stay in the situation because you know yourself well enough to know, like, if I stay here, I'm going to blow it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, if I don't remove myself from this situation, I am not strong enough, and I am not hearing the Holy Spirit good enough. 
to not mess this situation up. So we've got to, we've got to flee those situations. And the way we do that is we, we listen, we don't react. Proverbs 25 and 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. And some of you right now, you're, you're so emotional because you are like this. You, you have, there's no control of your own spirit. And you're like a city that's broken down without walls. And you, every... Every emotion that wants to have its way with you can have its way with you because you have no guardrails set up. You have no walls. You have no boundaries set up in your life. And so every emotion that wants to take control of your day has its way with you. Because you have not established in your own heart the ability to rule your own spirit. And part of ruling your own spirit is making sure that you don't put yourself in situations that you don't have the walls to deal with. I'm not going to do this because I know myself well enough to know that I haven't built up enough protection in this area of my life to handle this right now. And so we run into stuff and we're like, ah. and then somebody comes back at us and we're like, oh, my gosh, I did not expect that. And you got to be careful. You got to when you when you walk into a confrontational situation, you have to understand that there are that. Not only are they, but the enemy, because he wants to separate friends. He wants to separate marriages. The enemy is going to look for places in your life that are not secure. And when you come in and you confront them, sometimes the immediate words out of their mouth are the very thing that you have not secured yourself in. And you, come, you become overrun with emotion and you come right back. Oh, man, raising daughters is a wild, wild situation. Because it confronts so many insecurities that you have as a man. The insecurity to provide, to protect this, the, this like part of you that, that doesn't feel confident enough to to take care of your daughters. Man, when they, when they start getting into relationships and you start confronting them over relationships, it's, this, this is a part that comes up. Like, like, like so, so they'll be like, hey, I like this guy. And you're like, I don't like any guys. I hate guys. <laughs> and areas of your life, it's not that you actually hate guys. It's just you know who you were at 17. And you're, and you're projecting onto some boy that you don't even really know that well your same weaknesses. Come on, man. And so I'm, I'm just arguing and fighting and I'm, protect, I'm thinking I'm protecting them from him and I'm actually trying to protect them from guys like me. All right, but you're perfect, so that's cool. You stay that way. <laughs> Keep that up. <laughs> I, 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 don't think, I don't think Chloe would have ever gotten married if she didn't confront me. She had to confront me. And so there's got to be a part of you that realizes like, and, and, and even, even, even 
even now the, the girls will say stuff like, Dad, I'd, I'd tell you about this, this guy, but I'm afraid of how you'll react. I'd tell you about this thing that's happening in my life, but I'm afraid of how you will respond. And you can either lock your children in the basement for the rest of their lives, <laughs> which I've thought about a lot, or you, can, or you can let them become who they are going to become. And, man, the, that give and take, that, like, trying to, and so you, you have to confront you. And, and, and here's the thing. That's why the Bible, Matthew 5, Jesus puts it this way. He's like, hey, you keep freaking out over that speck of dust in your friend's eye, but you got this gigantic log sticking out of your eye, and you're hitting everybody with it. And that's what I realized I've done with my family and confrontation with my wife and confrontation with my kids. I've just been like, you got this. And like all the while, I'm just hitting them over the head with this big two by four that's sticking out of my own eye. Because the hardest person to confront is you. And you will not get, you will not improve in your confrontation abilities until you are able to confront the deepest, darkest parts of you. So listen, don't react. Um, James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Let me, let me help you with this real quick. Let me give you some dangers of defensiveness. I was going to push this off to the end, but let me go ahead here. I think this is the right place for it. Some dangers of defensiveness. So I've talked to you about confrontation, being the one confronting. Let me talk to you about being the person who's being confronted. When we are defensive, when we start to immediately put our guard up when somebody wants to have a hard conversation with us, when we, uh, when we immediately think that my only re reply and response is to attack their character, then we're in, we in a dangerous place. And there's just a few things that, that defensiveness will will a culture that it will create in your life, like a lifestyle that it will create. It will create a lifestyle of irresponsibility. Because defensiveness refuses to be responsible, to take responsibility. And there's, there's no outcome that you see where you take responsibility. Where you... Because isn't it wild when you're, you're being confronted, if, even if you... Even if you're in a place where you can receive a little bit of confrontation, it, it's usually to the point where if I have to take all responsibility for this, then I'm not down with this. Because there's this part of us that wants, that wants, to, that wants the other person to acknowledge 
what they could have done better, how they could have done it, what they should have said, how they should have reacted, instead of dealing with our own issue. So somehow it makes us feel better about dealing with our issue when we're making somebody else deal with their issue. But I would, I would, I would just, I would submit this to you and just, just for your own consideration, say to you that it's, it's rare for healing to come when you don't take full responsibility. And not just the healing of the relationship, but the healing of your own heart. It'd be like, God, I, I know I'm down here sinning and messing up, but, you know, uh, you made me. <laughs> you know, you can take some of the blame for this, God. I'm like this because, you know, you remember you said you were forming me in my mother's womb. I'm crazy like this because this is the way you made me. <laughs> we're, down, we're laughing at that because we're like, God would smack us around for something so silly. That's so dumb. It's not until we fully recognize our participation in rebellion against God that we can be like, I am a sinner that doesn't need you to take responsibility for your part. I'm a sinner that needs you to save me. And here's the amazing thing about God is he took full responsibility for something he did not even do. And so how dare we not even want to take full responsibility for something we were involved in? But we want to get that last word in. Yeah, I'll apologize, but you better. Yeah, I can admit this, but you need to. You're defensive. You're defensive. And, and it leads to a lot of blame because that's what, that's what happens. I'm irresponsible. It's not my fault. Or even if it is partially my fault, it's still like, it's like a 60-40 situation. And it's, it's, it's blame. Problems are caused by other people. Problems are caused by, this is, this is what they did to me. This is, I'm like, I did that because you, and it's always a blame. And because of that, there's no growth. Here's, here's, here's the danger with being human is that we instinctively seek out information or evidence that confirms our beliefs, values, and decisions. Can I tell you, there is some dark corner on the internet that will agree with about anything you want to think these days. There's some blogger, there's some influencer, there's somebody, there's somebody who's got a podcast that will make you feel justified in whatever you want to feel justified in. But we don't go to the bloggers for their opinions. We don't go to the news for its opinion. We don't go to social media influencers for their opinion. We are followers of Jesus. We go to God's word and we allow God's word to speak to our life. Because we need to grow. It's also distracting. Because it's like, it's that deflection, right? You confront one of your kids and it's like, but they... And it's constantly distracting you from, from you. And he, I even, this happens every Sunday. Every Sunday. I always have somebody come up to me and be like, you know, man, that message was great. I really wish 
My, my mother-in-law was here today, man. She really needed that message. And if you're in this room right now thinking of someone who needs this message, then you are refusing to take responsibility for the weaknesses and shortcomings and failures in your own life. So that's why even I'm not getting up here and preaching to you and, and just like saying this is like some sermon, some like four-part sermon. I'm like up here talking to you about where I have failed because if you can't admit that you failed, this message cannot help you. If you keep thinking this is for somebody else, then it cannot help you. Y'all need to leave the shovel at home. You know, the shovel that's like, I throw something out there and you're like, throw it over your shoulder to... Somebody else, that, uh, that, that went a whole, that was funnier in my mind. Gosh. <laughs> also creates a lack of excellence in your life because, because you'll start to say, nobody's perfect. Well, yeah, nobody's perfect. Excellence and perfection are not the same thing. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. This is what life handed to me, but I'm going to do the best with what I have. I'm not going to blame anybody for where I am. I'm going to take responsibility and I'm pursue excellence in my life. I might not have what they have or I might, and I might not start where they started. But if I will trust God and I will obey his word and I will apply it in my life, it will work for me no matter how desperate my situation is. No matter how far behind I feel from everybody else, God's word will work for me. And I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got. And it ultimately leads to arrogance and pride. Pride leads to destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a fall, Proverbs says. And here's what we do. We, we stop receiving correction or confrontation from anybody we perceive that they have done something worse than what we have done. So it's like you have no right to talk to me about that considering what your past is. Oh, so you're... Let me talk to you. I've, I've been real honest. And my, my brother has been really honest about his recovery. And there was a point I was sitting. <laughs> you just walk out right then, bro? Like, <laughs> do, you, do we need to talk about something? Is there like, should we just act this whole thing out? Just right, just like a real example. But no, like. Like when he, when he, <laughs> that's perfect. No, it's perfect. It's good. So just don't start singing over top of me or something. Okay. All right. All right. So, so my brother's been uh, in recovery. You've, how, how long has it? Seven years, seven years, seven years he's been sober. And, uh, 
It's a miracle. And God's done more in the past seven years in his life than the first 50. You know, you're an old man. That's but when he, when, he, when he was in the early stages of, of his recovery, two and three years, four years, he would be in staff meetings. And he would, he would say something, and there would be a part of me that was like, I've never struggled with what you struggled with. I never did what you did. So I don't have to receive that. There had to be this part in me to, to, to realize that I stand before a holy God just the same heat. And my righteousness is filthy to God. Every good deed I've ever done in my life doesn't give me a one-up with God. As a matter of fact, me and my brother stand equally or kneel equally or fall equally at the cross of Jesus Christ. And, I, and if you're not careful, you won't be able to receive from people who you perceive to have done things worse than you. When God puts, it's, it's, it's like, it's, if we held Paul in the Bible, if we held his past against him, you wouldn't be able to receive from him. But all of you are like, Paul's my hero. Paul murdered people. And Paul was so changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that he would literally, he, one time he sends word into another town. He's like, you guys aren't receiving us and I don't even understand why you're not receiving us. We have wronged no man. <laughs> Paul, you killed their aunts and uncles, bro. What are you? Is it, isn't it wild that God sees people who he has always been more holy than, better than we see them. And we've never for one day been more holy, more righteous in the eyes of God than the worst prisoner in the correctional facility. So I had to apologize and I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to make myself, you're gonna listen. God's got him at this table for a reason. He didn't go through all of that just to sit there to receive from you the rest of his life. He went through all of that because he's got something to say to your self-righteous, self-centered thinking. And if you're not careful, man, men, you'll do that to women. I'm the man in this house. Well, act like it. She's there to help you. She's there to assist you. What would God be? What would Christ be without his bride? I can't receive from no woman. Oh, man, you're missing out on so much that God wants to do in your life if you can't receive from women. I can't receive from a convict. Oh, you're missing out on so much that God wants to do in your life if you can't receive from convicts. I can't receive from somebody who's been to war. Are you, where do we, 
It's that defensiveness. It's that part of us that just loves to be better. So I wanted to challenge you today. Not just in how to confront people. But how to humble yourself to receive confrontation. Because so much of what God wants to do in your life requires you to have a willingness to hear the truth even when you don't like the source of that truth. Even when you don't like the way that truth is being delivered. Hear it. My dad, I used, I used to get so upset. I'd be like, tell this person, they just said, and my dad was like, you know, you can actually, you can actually cry over your critics or you can learn from them. Because unless someone's just out there out to get you, not every critic is a hater. Not every person who says, hey, you could improve is trying to ruin your reputation. <laughs> so it's like, you could, you could actually learn from that because because even though maybe you didn't like the tone in which it came, or even sometimes you don't like the source from which it came, maybe there's some truth there. And especially if you've heard it four or five times. <laughs> I'm gonna leave you with this in John chapter eight. This woman, she's, get, she's caught in the act of adultery. And the Bible says that these men, they, they grab her and they bring her out. They, they don't even deal with the man. That's a whole nother issue. They grab this woman, they bring her out and they throw her before Jesus. And they're like, okay, you're an expert in the law. And the Bible says they're seeking out ways to catch him breaking the law. But remember, Jesus, Jesus never broke the law. The Bible said Jesus came to fulfill the law. Even in the story, let me show you how Jesus didn't break the law. The Bible says that they bring this woman out and they throw her before Jesus. And they're like, well, Jesus, the word says, if you catch someone in the act of adultery, they're to get stoned. And Jesus, the Bible says, bends over in the ground. He writes into the sand and he stands up and he says, hey, anybody in here without sin, cast the first stone. He bends over again and he writes in the ground again. And the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they started to walk away. And then Jesus says to this woman, he, he says, hey, stand up. And he looks at her and he's like, where are your accusers? And she's like, there are none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then he looks at her and he says, go and sin no more. And some people are like, oh, man, how do we, how do we reconcile Jesus not not allowing them to stone her when the law says, so, so Jesus must be a, he, he just must bend the rules a little bit. No, Jesus doesn't bend the rules. Jesus actually fulfilled the law in this story. Deuteronomy 19 and 15 says that you cannot, you cannot execute punishment on somebody out of, by the mouth of one witness. You have to, out of, and that's where the Bible says, out of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so when these accusers walk away and Jesus says, Jesus is literally saying, where are the witnesses? There's no more witnesses. There's no more accusers. I can't 
condemn you for a crime that no one is accusing you of. So Jesus fulfills the law. And the same, look, at, look at what Jesus does. The same word that they use to try to kill her, Jesus uses it correctly to set her free. And this is, this is what I want to tell you about confrontation is that very often we will use com- co- confrontation to sentence somebody, to punish somebody. But the confrontation, the way Jesus uses it, is not to punish somebody because he's already taken their punishment. No matter what they did to you, Jesus has already paid for it. So the mindset is, how can I use this confrontation to set them free? And when you approach people with that different mindset instead of the the confrontational mindset of, I'm going to set them straight, everything in your world will start to change. Because then you're not making demands, you're actually giving options. It's like when, when Moses said to the people, he said, I set before you today life and death. Choose life. And Jesus says to this woman, he says basically the same thing. I'm giving you an option here today. He says, go and sin no more. 